0: Shabbat Shalom. I'm reading today from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. I wrote the first volume, Theophilus, about all that Yeshua began to do and teach. Up to the day he was taken up, after he had given orders to the Ruach HaKodesh, to the emissaries he had chosen. To them, he showed himself to be alive after his suffering and through many convincing proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, while staying with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the father promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John immersed with water, but you will be immersed with the Ruach Hat Kodesh not many days from now. So when they gathered together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not your place to know the time or the seasons which the father has placed under his own control, but you will receive power when the Ruach Hat Kodesh has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea Judah, throughout all Judah and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. After saying all this, while they were watching, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. While they were staring into the heaven as he went up, suddenly two men stood with him in white clothing. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you keep standing here, staring into heaven? This Yeshua, who has taken, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Shabbat's day journey.
1: Thank you, Camilla. Chag Sameach. Now, you want to say, um, I haven't seen this particular day in the standard uh, calendar, in the Christian calendar, in the Jewish calendar, so what's up with this? Well, since you ask, let me tell you. <clears throat> um, we happen to think that the coming of Messiah into the world is hugely significant. Uh, it's an event that changed the world. And uh, what's interesting, uh, uh, what I find interesting, is the fact that the Christian world has celebrated that um, for a couple thousand years. What is What I find intriguing is now that the significant number of Orthodox rabbis are are finding Yeshua's coming to this world also to be very significant. If you recall, a few weeks ago I read from a document that was crafted by 25 Orthodox rabbis who said that Yeshua uh, was someone who... um, was faithful to the Torah and furthermore someone who brought the Gentiles out of paganism and brought light to uh, the majority of the world. Um, That is something I never thought I would hear from the Orthodox community. And so we have felt for a while that it is important for us to celebrate the coming of Messiah into this world in the way that we are comfortable with it, you know, that's chutzpah. Uh, But then, you know, we've been a little ornery. If you've been around us for a while, you know that. Um, It's not that we blast other folks because they do things differently, Um, We don't get on the airwaves or YouTube and tell everybody that they need to do things the way we do, but we certainly felt that for us uh, to celebrate the incarnation, the coming of Yeshua, it needed to be a time that was set apart uh, from the goofiness of the events that take place in December. Not to suggest that Hanukkah or Christmas are goofy, but you understand exactly what I'm saying. Uh, We wanted it to be set apart, and we wanted it to be a time of celebration for us as a congregational mishpacha. And so, uh, hence, that's why we have Yom Yeshua today. We want not only to remember the fact that he came, but to be very cognizant, to operate with the clear grasp um, of the fact that he's coming again, and we want to be sure and and be found to be faithful. What do I mean by that? Um, if If you have been around for the last twenty five or thirty years, this is not uh, uh news to you. The world is uh, a little crazy uh, and becoming crazier. <clears throat> And um, you pick up the newspapers, you look at social media, and uh, it's frankly, parts of it are pretty depressing. And so the tendency for us sometimes is to say, uh, Lord, this is a mess. Get me out of here. And so if you are Someone like me, and I'm dating myself here, who was raised in the beginning era of Trekkieism. You understand the metaphor of being beamed up. Um, You want to say, Lord, would you please come in your spaceship and beam me up? I'm tired of this mess. And, uh, you know, that kind of lends into some degree of escapism. You know, the truth is, we all indulge in that sort of a fantasy. Things get difficult. I'm tired of this. Uh, I want to bail. I, you know, God, uh, uh, get me out of here. You know, put me in a in a pod and uh, take me out of here and drop me some some place where I don't have to fuss and struggle. Um, if you feel that way, guaranteed you're not unique. Not just for us who are followers of Yeshua, but the rest of the world is feeling that way. Um, Isaiah and I, my grandson, um, went to see a movie, as we do periodically. This one was part of the Hunger Game uh, series, and uh, we weren't able to get in, but instead we Uh, we saw the latest uh, series of uh, um, the latest movie of Star Wars um, The Force Awakens and uh, in which now there's another evil force, another evil organization that wants to take over the galaxy Um, and by the way I believe 2 billion dollars have been grossed thus far For for this movie, kind of gives you a little feel for where people's heads are at. You know, sort of like during the Depression, everybody went to movies to escape. Um, And so when we went there, uh, it was wall-to-wall people. And people lined up for hours just to be able to get to see uh, the Force Awakens in 3D and to get the extra experience. You say, okay, all right, I get it. Um, Escapism has been around. And uh, nothing new. Uh, By the way, um, you periodically hear about the individuals who are convinced that God has called them on the phone and had given them his timetable, his calendar of when he is planning to come back and fix things um you know in nineteen eighty eight it was eighty eight reasons why messiah comes uh will come in nineteen eighty eight and um this goes back to the year one seventy five you know one seventy five uh about a hundred and 40 years after Yeshua's life in ministry, there was a group of people called the Montanists who, was, who were convinced that Messiah was coming back in the year 175. Natural tendency. Natural tendency is for us to want uh, to get some kind of guarantee from God that things are going to be different, things will be better, that he will take us out of the current situation we're in and put us in a place where we have no fuss, no must, no struggle. As best as I can determine from Scripture, God never signed on a dotted line guaranteeing that he will do that for us. Um, Rather, if anything, Scripture tells us over and over and over and over again is, I promise you, that you will suffer. And you say, well, thank you. (laughs) Why? Because you and I, who are committed to the Messiahship of Yeshua, are swimming upstream. And the current is going against us, and it seems like as we're swimming upstream, a lot of times we get all kinds of tires and... uh, cement blocks coming in our direction. Um, And so as we look at today's portion, we want to be sure that we understand a simple reality that um, God placed us where we are and he has plans, he has power to implement those plans. And what he expects from us is simply... Our commitment to be faithful. You know, it's not one of these very glamorous virtues, but it's something that God finds very appealing. So let's take a moment to pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are faithful, and that you know us, you understand our environment. And um, you insist on our being engaged in the environment that we're in, because you want to bring about changes. So we pray today as we look into this portion and dig into it, we pray, Lord God, that you would give us holy chutzpah, boldness in your spirit, Lord, to... Commit to simply being there and being available. And we ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. So this passage, we we have uh, a few overlaps with uh, the last chapter in Luke. And I want to read to you um, just a bit from Luke 24. Yeshua led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, which was a village on the eastern side of Uh, The Mount of Olives, he lifted his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then in verse 9 of our current chapter, Yeshua gave them a bunch of instruction. Verse 9, after he said this, he was taken before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now, I have always read this and considered the fact that Yeshua was basically beamed up. And, of course, inquiring minds want to know exactly what that looked like. Unfortunately, we're not given a second-by-second um, explanation of, of what, what took place. But what jumped out at me this time was the word cloud. Did you notice the word cloud? This is not about meteorology. Uh, It simply is a clue for a Jewish audience in the first century. And by the way, um, Luke here, that everybody's convinced was a a Greek physician, um, I believe that Luke was in all likelihood actually Jewish, And that Theophilus, who has a Greek name, was also Jewish, as uh, we were giving all kinds of good instruction from our brilliant brother Aaron, Amy, um, a few weeks ago. Uh, Theophilus is, is, is a Greek name that means a lover of God, and Jewish people in the first century had a lot of Greek names. Why? Because they were under Greek rule for several hundred years. Duh. Uh, You have all kinds of Greek words in rabbinic writings because of that. So, Theophilus um, and his community know something about a cloud. Well, the, the cloud in Scripture refers to God as the provider because he is the one who made the heavens and the earth. He provides rain, and rain comes from clouds. Okay, we get that but there's so much more because cloud in in scripture in the Tanakh, the Old Testament is identified with the presence of God let me just give to you a couple of quotations uh, from Exodus Um, this is as the people of Israel had gone out of Egypt Um, they had already experienced the ten plagues as Joanne mentioned earlier Uh, Exodus 16.10 Aaron was speaking to the Israelite community. They looked out toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. Exodus 19 This is in preparation for the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you. And this is part of the preparation then in later on in this chapter um, on the morning of the third day there was thunder lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast everybody in the camp trembled well if you were seeing the light and sound show coming uh, on that day I would be trembling too you know it's not very uh, it's not every day that we hear uh, a, a loud trumpet, uh, a loud shofar blast. I mean, we do on Shabbat morning here because of Michael, but <coughs> I, I have a sneaking suspicion that that shofar blast was several orders of magnitude louder than what we are hearing here today. Um, and the the mountain shook. You know, that, that would put the fear of God into you. Then, a couple of chapters over in the initiation of the covenant itself, Moses goes up to the mountain and it was covered by a cloud. Okay, so Jewish audience, first century, see Yeshua going up, being taken up with a cloud. What does that tell them? It tells them that he is not merely their rabbi. And their Messiah, but he is the representation of the glory of God, as the book of Hebrews tells us. So they were looking, you can understand why they were freaked and looking up intently um, at the sky. They're dazzled, you know, their mouths are agape and. you know, Yeshua told them over and over and over again that, that he's going to be leaving but it's one thing to hear it's another thing to see this and they're, so they're dazzled and here all of a sudden you have a couple of guys showing up dressed in white uh, obviously they're angels and they said to them men of Galilee why do you stand there looking into the sky and, and the implication is um, stop doing what you're doing and you have work to do the same Yeshua who has been taken up from heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven in other words um, this event is part of the picture and in the meantime you have been given instructions instructions and we're told in, in this chapter that Yeshua was with them. He showed himself alive after suffering many, he gave them many convincing proofs, appearing to them for 40 days. Now think, remember that in scripture, numbers often are very significant. Uh, And and we are not into numerology, you know, trying to find uh, all kinds of strange patterns uh, because of numbers. But the number 40 is very significant. Where do we see the number 40 before? Well, Moses went up to Mount Sinai and he was there for 40 days. So there's obviously a connection between Yeshua and Moses And according to traditional Judaism, we don't know exactly uh, what is the origin of this tradition, but according to traditional Judaism, Messiah would come (coughs) and he would reinterpret the Torah and Yeshua did reinterpret the Torah. He never minimized it. He never abolished it. He reinterpreted to bring out the depth or the uh, intent of the Torah, beginning all the way back to Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, where Yeshua says to them, you guys heard, but let me tell you exactly how deep this goes. So, all of this is designed to give the first century audience that are hearing um, the record of this book for them to understand the fact that okay uh, Yeshua came he gave, a, he gave you instruction 40 days we're told that Yeshua talked to them about the kingdom of God now what do you think he told them about the kingdom of God well first of all what is the kingdom of God I mean it's both and you know a Jewish answer on one hand on the other hand on one hand it's incredibly complicated because it has to do with God it's a mystery anything having to do with God is a mystery on the other hand it's it's simple the kingdom of God first of all means that God is the king that he rules that he is in charge of this crazy whacked out world that he has plans he has the power to bring those plans and that at this point he is ultimately in control But at some point, as history unwinds, God's rule here in heaven, God's rule here on on earth will become one and the same, and everything that God wants will be made visible here on the earth. The kingdom of God will come into fullness at some point. So Yeshua is telling them all of this, and... um, of course, they don't get it, um, and we're not going to point a bony finger at them and say, what's the, what, what's the matter with you? You know, if I was there, I would have been uh, superbly spiritually in tune with everything that Yeshua was say. Uh, maybe not. So they say to him, at this point, uh, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, they're obviously, under Roman rule, they're wanting the Romans to get out. They're saying, "Uh, Lord, are you going to kick the bums out and restore independence to Israel? And Yeshua doesn't say to them, it ain't going to happen. He doesn't say, this is not part of the plan. Because it's very clearly part of the plan. When Yeshua comes and he he establishes his rule upon the earth, It will not be governed from Washington, D.C., or from Salt Lake City, or from Mecca. It will be ruled in Jerusalem. So, yes, the kingdom will be restored to Israel because Israel will be God's headquarters for what He wants to do the rest of the world. He doesn't deny that. What He tells them basically is M Y O B, mind your own business. It's not your business to sit and strategize and figure out what God is going to do, what God is not going to do. I'm I'm amused by that because I see all kinds of people doing that today. And I think to myself, okay, uh, do you read scripture? All right. Yeshua basically is saying to them, I have a plan, I have a strategy for you. And the plan is going to involve you being in this situation. And you're going to be empowered to carry out the plan that I have for you. Now again, coming back to the notion of escapism, um, the Lord tends to be somewhat narrow-minded, if you haven't noticed. He doesn't say to us, I know you're having a hard time. I'm going to pull you out and put you someplace on a uh, uh, West Indies, on a beach somewhere, you know. No, he he says, I'm walking with you. I'm going to empower you. But in order for you to experience that, here comes the dirty word, four-letter word, which we hate with a passion. You're going to have to wait we hate that word because we want things done nanoseconds, you know you click on your computer your computer (laughs) okay, yes Um, and you expect it to respond to you and sometimes you have this silly notion you, you expect God to do likewise And what you find in Scripture over and over and over and over again, particularly in the Tanakh, you have a number of these juicy, delicious words for wait. And we, of course, are convinced that waiting is always very passive. You know, you just lay down and uh, roll your eyes and say, whatever... The biblical words for wait, particularly in Hebrew, have the notion of waiting with confident expectation that God is going to act. Why? Because you know who God is. You know that he is a redeeming God. You know he is a fixer. You know he cares. And you know that he wants to invest his power to touch people. That's a no-brainer. You know and understand that. So because of that, you learn to wait. That God will act, that God will bring things about. And you find that in Scripture, the waiting is not dead space. It's not a waste of time. God does all kinds of good things as you and I learn to wait. In confidence that he will act according to his kairos, as Rabbi David talked about last Shabbat, his appointed time. Again, it's not passive. It, It is active in a sense of looking to see how God is going to do things. And so you look for signs of of God's work. And we all struggle with that, by the way. You look at the great people in Scripture, men and women of faith, and you see that Even Father Abraham, who was held up as the model of faith in Scripture, struggled with the notion of waiting. Sarah struggled with the notion of waiting. We all pull an Ishmael. You know, God, uh, it isn't working. Let me see if I can help you out. In chapter 15 of of Genesis, we see that God comes to Abraham and says, Said to him, I'm your great reward. And to paraphrase it, Abram says, Yeah, God, right. I have already moved towards option B. The one who will inherit everything that I have is not some mystical baby that will come, but the one who will inherit everything is the flesh and blood guy in front of me, Eliezer. From Damascus. That uh, that that's the plan. So, aren't you glad that the, that the Lord doesn't take a two by four and wax him upside the head? He basically instructs him of the with the fact that he needs to wait. So Abram waited twenty five years from the time that God said to him you will have a baby until the time the baby actually comes. Now, we have no delusions about being Abrahamic. Um, We're not expecting uh, a multitude of nations to come from Yeshua Tzior. But at the same time, we've been around for 25 years. And there have been lots of times when we would say to God, God... uh, Is this really you? Is this something we cooked up? And the answer consistently has been, no, this is not your baby, it's mine. And so we have learned to wait initially very passively, okay God, whatever, and at some point more actively, as in God, you are faithful, you have begun a good work, you will bring it to completion. And that's our expectation here in Yeshua Tzion, in our congregational mishpacha, that God will fulfill and complete what he has started with us. you hear, if, if you come to the membership class, you will hear the phrase, equipping center, which is um, a, a short description of what we feel God has called us to do. Unlike Abraham, who was looking for a physical baby, we're looking for spiritual babies. In other words, our expectation is that here at Yeshua Tzion, people will encounter the presence of God and will learn to follow him, will become equipped to become his disciples. Now, is this... uh, putting great expectations on us. No, it is not. It is putting great expectations on God. That's part of the process for us of waiting. And at least from from my vantage point, we're beginning to see that happen visibly. Now remember that God is always at work. He doesn't say, I'm tired, I'm going to take a cruise. But he's always at work invisibly behind the scenes and we don't see that and at some point he pulls back the curtains and gives us a glimpse and and says okay do you see what I've been doing and we are seeing the beginnings visibly of what God wants to do with us and we're delighted and we give praise and thanks to him But we also recognize there's much more. There's much more. Part of the waiting, of course, is a waiting by faith. Trusting that God will bring to fullness, to completion what he started. And we have no doubt that this is going to go from us, not any uh, Jewish guilt trip here, but the next generation, because if this is from God then it is not about us it will continue from us to the next generations that's our expectation and we wait for that we wait for that we don't sit around and and uh twiddle our thumbs um we do what we understand God has wanted us to do that we need to do and as I mentioned earlier today um, our commitment to outreach but reality is folks this is all part of God's work God is being active and we're simply saying we are available and we want to see how you're doing things and to see where we fit in your plans and purposes And this is something we want to encourage everybody. If you sense that God has brought you here, he has a purpose for you here, for you to receive and to be nurtured in your relationship with God, to grow into maturity. And part of that, of course, is a process where you learn to serve and to give from what God has given you to build his kingdom. His kingdom, not ours. So every so often we get frustrated, we're like the disciples, we poke our noses where our noses don't belong and the Lord simply has to say to us, MYOB, be about the business that I put before you, wait and you'll receive power. Now, this is huge, folks. Because we often are convinced that God has things for us to do, and by golly, we're going to do them. You know, we're going to huff and puff and strategize and sit, you know, with our, um, I was going to say, uh, uh yellow pad, but that's uh, becoming uh, extinct, I guess. And, uh strategize how we are going to fix things and, um, and we try and we try and we try and at some point God brings us to a point where we realize okay if this is going to be about me then it has to come from me not from you. Tough truth for us to realize. Yeshua says in, in John 15 Without me, you can do 95%. No, he doesn't say that. Without me, you can do absolutely zip. It's Very humbling. Very, very humbling. Because we want to stand and argue with God, which, you know, if you're Jewish, come, sort of comes naturally. Um and say, no, no, you know, God, I, uh, I can bring 50% of the bargain or, or 40% of the bargain. And God is unrelenting, unrelenting and says, no, without me you can do absolutely zippo. So uh, how do you get your arms around that? Well, it's takes some time. You learn to wait. And you learn to recognize that there is a plan, God wants you to do things and he wants to give you the ability, the power to carry them out. But it has to be something that you get that it comes from him, not from you. In other words, if a vision, a strategy is from God then it is impossible. I'll say that again. A vision that is truly from God is impossible for you and I to carry out. It's not doable. Because if it's doable by us, then we really don't need God, do we? We can say, God, I'm doing this. and Would you smile upon me and put some uh, pixie dust on it? But for the most part, I am the one who is doing it. So a vision, if it truly comes from God, has to be impossible. And uh, that's tough medicine to swallow, folks, isn't it? And once we finally get it, then we are, in a sense, released and freed from the 800-pound gorilla that sits on us, that says, oh, you really should have done this, you didn't do this right, This you screwed up here, you could have done better, etc., etc. You release all of that, you say, because I'm doing what I've been instructed as I understand it, but what really makes things happen is not me, but God. yes, you have the responsibility. I'm not suggesting that we are irresponsible people. But we certainly understand who does the heavy lifting. And Yeshua says to them, I have a commission for you, for, for you to be witnesses for me. In other words, to communicate the message in Jerusalem, where I was killed, by the way, and the rest of, Ju- of Judah and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. But in order for that to happen, you have to wait to receive the power that comes from the Spirit. And of course, there's all kinds of what we call in in Jewish mishigas, absolute craziness about this. Because everybody defines what the Spirit of God is, what the Spirit of God does, and again it's a mystery the spirit of God how the spirit of God operates is a mystery we have some ideas and to put it in very 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 simple terms the spirit of God enables us to be godly so that when someone cuts us off on I-25 we don't flip them off I know nobody here would do that But we certainly learn to say, okay, God, help me to be patient here. The Spirit of God works God's character of righteousness and holiness into us. And secondly, the Spirit of God empowers us to do what we're supposed to be doing, what God wants us to do. You learn to wait in expectation for God to give you the necessary power to do what you've been called to do. And then you see how God does it. And it's awesome, folks. It is awesome. It is awesome. It takes your breath away to see how God works in his kairos, in his time. To see that you have a part and you do your part and what makes things really happen is what God does. And you realize that you and God are partners. You labor together. And it gives you joy because it's not all on you. So in the midst of all the things that we, we go through, in the midst of the insanity in, in, in this uh, world, and by the way, we have really have nothing to complain about. Um, you, you may have heard that they finally captured the, um, the terrorist that walked up to several people in a, uh, in a cafe in Tel Aviv and just blew them away. And he was considered to be a great hero in the uh, Arab world. It's easy to slide into escapism, you know, to stand there and say, God, get me out of here. We need to remember that the message that Yeshua, that the angels give the disciples, is simply this stop staring at the sky. He is coming. But you have work to do. Prepare for work. And the work will not get done until you learn to W-A-I-T. Wait in patient faith. Prepare for action by waiting. That's God's prescription because as we wait, we learn To be quiet and to stop being hyper and we slow down and we look for God to do his work and then as we are given instruction and wisdom and the empowering from God then we joyfully step into it and then we do what we've been told to do it is, is it a simple process? Is it an easy process? Absolutely not. But there's joy in it. As we learn to engage in the midst of a difficult reality and see what God wants to do. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, that you understand us and you see all the times, Lord, when we want to bail. And thank you, Lord God, that you often don't let us bail, that you hem us in, that you custom design situations where we have no choice but to stay. and wait and trust you thank you Lord God for those for what you do in those difficult circumstances and thank you Lord God for the challenge you give us of serving you in the midst of a crooked and perverse world Lord God thank you for the great things that you want to do in us and through us, individually and corporately, as a congregational mishpacha. Lord God, we want to bring you much honor and glory. And we simply pray for each one of us, Lord God, to be given a new pair of eyes to see you, to see you at work, and the heart of courage to engage in waiting, to engage in doing what you have put before us. Lord God, we ask that you would bring about that transformation in us and that you would be honored and pleased with what takes place. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen.